Please welcome to the stage Stephanie Wheat. Hello, everyone. I am shorter than that Jennifer. Okay, are you going to ask me nicely to hum it? Okay, you ready? That is the song that my mother hummed to me every night before bed. And my son sitting here, Christopher, he knows it too. <laughs> my mother would have loved that. My mother passed away in 2010. She would have loved to hear me hum that on a church stage. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right. This, uh, this story, Jennifer, I did have to put on cards. I'm sorry that I did this, and I will do my best for you all tonight. This story, this story is called, uh, Lou Brock Didn't Think I Was Trash. <laughs> <laughs> this story is um, about Times Beach, and you may all know about it. It is, um, you do, thank you. It is um, out by Eureka. So growing, growing up, um, growing up, excuse me, Start over, please. <laughs> Growing up near the Merrimack River, I learned how to swim at a very early age. Um, my parents taught me how to swim, and they taught me how to respect the dark waters and swift currents. Uh, my friends and I could often be found riding our bikes near the, uh, near the river. I'm so sorry. It's very, very nervous up here. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden I panicked and I don't even know why. <laughs> it's like, I did. All of a sudden it's like everything went blank on me. Oh, I'm so sorry. December 5th, 1982, those waters swelled beyond their banks and they took my community with it. I had just turned 13. That is a fact. My parents and I, we barely escaped the cold waters that December morning. Um, there were only two exits out of our town, out of Times Beach, and one was underwater, and one of those roads were congested with people just like us trying to escape those waters. Some of my friends are here tonight. They were with, with us doing the same thing. Um, they were trying to flee. You know, as we looked above trying to flee those river waters, there were helicopters above us recording our every move when we were trying to escape out of those waters. My parents and I, we were, we had packed our, um, packed the essentials in our vehicles in my mom's car and my dad's truck was behind us as we entered the line to exit. The waters, they rolled in just like the ocean and I don't know if you've ever been in a flood before but that's exactly how they come in. Those waters came in very, very quickly. <clears throat> and those waters seeped into my mom's car while we were in it. They did. They seeped into my mom's car. And my mom yelled to me. She said, get out quick. Get out quick, Stephanie. Get out quick. And I did. I jumped out of that vehicle so quickly. But by the time I got out of that vehicle, that water was here, up to my knees. Remember, I'm 13. I'm just a couple years younger than my son at this time. 
And I thought to myself, where am I to go? There was water surrounding me everywhere. There's nowhere to go at this point. And the water, it just rose faster, and it rose faster. And the next thing I know, the water's up to here. It's up to my thighs. And my mom and I, we just waited. We waded through that water, and it was dark, and it was moving fast. And this December, it's freezing cold. And we moved to my dad's truck, and I literally, we abandoned everything that we owned in my mom's car. And we watched my dad. He pushed my mom's car off of the road as much as he could. It basically floated away with everything we owned in it. And while that was happening, there were a couple people behind us cursing at us. <laughs> Nothing that we could do about that at the time. And I worried about my dad while they were cursing at us, while my dad went back to help them with their stuff. And my mom and I got into my dad's truck. Two more blocks to go, and I thought, just two more blocks, and we're out of here, and we're going to be okay. And suddenly, the truck door flew open, and my dad jumped in, <laughs> and I was so happy to see him. But he was cold, and he was wet, and he was shivering. And I could see the highway from there. I could see the highway lined with the media and onlookers, the looky-loos. <laughs> and I thought, it's you. It's you. It's you that were blocking us, and it's you that almost made us lose our lives. It's you were that blocking the traffic that wouldn't let us out of our own community. And then the water began to seep into my dad's truck. We weren't out yet. My water started coming into the truck just as we exited Times Beach, Missouri. So we returned two weeks later. We returned to a home that had been underwater completely. There was a tree in the living room. <laughs> that was different. There was two feet of mud throughout the entire house and the smell of dead fish. Ugh. There were items in the yard belonging to others. There was a boat. We did not own a boat. <laughs> there was a boat in the yard. <laughs> there were men dressed in hazmat suits. This is a story that you may know, you may not know. There were men dressed in hazmat suits in my front yard. And to me, a young 13-year-old, they look like men from the moon. And I didn't understand it at the time, what they were doing there, but they were from the EPA. They were from the Environmental Protection Agency. And those men, they were taking samples of the land. And those test results, they did come back on December 23rd, 1982. I remember that date. It's right before Christmas. And those tests came back as positive for the toxic waste dioxin. And those who may not know what dioxin is, it's been compared to Agent Orange. And you see those dirt roads that we rode down on our bikes when we were kids? Those were covered in oil in the 70s by Russell Bliss. And those would keep the dust down. Now, I rode my bikes and that oil. It was fun. <laughs> we didn't know better. It was a lot of fun. But that, that oil was tainted with dioxin. 
And Times Beach then became the first Superfund site. The government bought the community out and we were not allowed to return back home or take the items that were left inside the home, anything that was salvageable, which was really at that point nothing. We became homeless. We moved from motel to motel to crime-ridden apartments and eventually setting into a double-wide trailer across from Six Flags. But settling did not mean settled by any means, and it wasn't pleasant for a 13-year-old. The majority of my friends, they moved. They moved away. And remember, this is 1982, moving into 1983. And we didn't have the internet. We didn't have social media. There was no way to contact anyone. We didn't know where they moved. We had no idea where they went. And those left behind, we were subjected to the onslaught of the media, who were brutal, <laughs> very brutal at the time, and still are. There was the harassment of other students. And if you can believe this, there was the harassment of teachers. We had a math teacher. And I see some of my friends shaking their head. They know exactly who he was. And he would call us Times Beach trash. He would say, do you glow at night? Other students would ask us if we glowed at night from the dioxin. Other adults would ask us, even just last year on a float trip, someone asked me if I glowed at night, and I'm 50. I'm sorry, that took me back. <laughs> Trying to fit in at 13, just trying to fit in anywhere at 13 is difficult enough. And eighth grade became the, the worst year ever socially and academically for me. It was terrible. But 1983, July 1983 came around. And I'm not sure who put this on, but in Eureka we had a picnic called Christmas in July. And Lubrock came. And I'm a huge baseball fan. I always have been, absolutely loved Lou Brock, knew who he was back then. This was before he was in the Hall of Fame. He didn't get into the Hall of Fame until 85. And I ran to Lou Brock. <laughs> I ran to Lou Brock. And I wanted his autograph. I wanted to talk to him, see him, ran to my mother. Mom, 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 please, can I please have a piece of paper? She said, let me see what I can find. She gets her mom purse out, and we all know what that mom purse looks like. <laughs> I now have one. <laughs> she digs in her purse. She pulls out an envelope, and I'm sure it was probably a utility bill. And she hands it to me. Baby, this is all I have. It'll work, Mom. Thank you very much. And I ran back to Lou Brock. And I said, Mr. Brock, please, can you sign this? Please, 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 can you sign this? And of course he did. To Stephanie, Lou Brock, thank you. And I'm not sure at that particular day what our conversation was, but I know that he was a very kind man. He is, I don't know if he, has anybody met him? Yes? No? No? I heard maybe one yes. I don't know what that conversation was that day, 
but he spoke to me. He was a very kind, very, he just spoke to me just, I don't even know, he was with humanity. And he gave me the courage to go back to school and stand up for myself against that teacher. And I wrote a letter. I wrote a letter telling that particular teacher he was wrong for the things that he said to me. He was wrong for the things he said to my friends that were from Times Beach. And I had all of my friends sign it. <laughs> and I turned it into him. And he apologized to me in class. He did. <laughs> he apologized to me, and he apologized to my friends in class for what he had said. He was wrong. We were right. Yes, he did. And Lou Brock gave me the courage to do that, that particular day. Now, moving on. Moving on 31 years later. I'm going to put this away because I got this one. <laughs> this is a little bit, a little bit closer to my time. <laughs> 31 years later, let me just say, I always wanted to thank him, and I never had that opportunity. But 31 years later, I'm going to flight home, California, on a Delta flight, California to Atlanta to St. Louis, and I'm in Atlanta, and I'm tired, extremely tired, and at that time now, I was 44, and I'm getting on this flight, not paying any attention whatsoever to my surroundings, get on board, an elderly couple is behind me go to put my luggage in the bin, a couple behind me, an elderly man behind me, struggling to put his luggage in the bin. Don't pay attention, just grab his luggage like everybody does, most people do, right? Get your luggage, put it in the bin, put it up there, close the bin, sit down, get ready to take off. All of a sudden, a panel above the bin opposite pops off above the luggage bin. And the flight attendant looked at me, because it was by me, and I told her, I'm like, mm, this is Atlanta now. I don't know if you've been to Atlanta, but that's the busiest airport in the United States. And if you call maintenance, we're going to be here for another couple hours, <laughs> and I'm ready to go home. And I'm pretty sure everybody in this flight's ready to go home. Let's just fix this panel by ourselves. <laughs> and she says, <laughs> she says, I'm supposed to call maintenance. Mm-mm, let's not call maintenance. <laughs> These things just pop right in. I worked as a flight attendant before. Let's just fix it. And she says, okay. I said, okay, too. <laughs> and she says, okay, too, too, too. <laughs> so I climb up on the seats, and she climbs up on the seats, and there we are in this plane full of people straddling the seats. <laughs> She straddled, I straddled, and we fixed the seats. I mean, I'm sorry, we fixed the panel, right? Everybody clapped. Everybody clapped. Now we're going home. Sit back down in my seat, get over 10,000 feet. She comes around to do her service, and she says, hey, can I buy you a drink? We're going home. No, I don't want a drink. I just want to go to sleep. She says, you know, 
do you know that man that you helped with the luggage earlier? I saw you. Did you, do you know who that was? I said, I didn't pay any attention to who that was. And she goes, it's Lou Brock from the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> and I said, oh, my God. Thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. One more thing. If you, if you are wondering, do I still have? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Still have that autograph. <laughs>